0: CNN. 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 CNN.
1: Radio. And this is CNN Radio Profiles. I'm Michael Shoulder. And with the U.S. Open tennis tournament now underway, we have reached out to tennis, and I, I hate to use the word legend because it's overused. What should we call you, Nick Boletari?
0: You know, just a happy Italian guy that uh, loves being with
1: excitement and uh, seeing a smile on a young boy or girl's face sir. And you've been uh, you've been seeing that for about how many years now? Uh,
0: Sixty years, sir. I've been uh, involved in tennis.
1: And a lot of us know the name. All of us parents who have kids playing tennis, we've heard of the Nick Boletari Tennis Academy in Florida. It's produced some of the greatest tennis champions in the world. My 11-year-old son, who loves tennis this morning, asked me, what champions? G- give me a list.
0: Uh, well, uh, my students I- include... Andre Agassi, Courier, Selish, Martina Hinkis, Venus and Serena Williams, Boris Becker, Maria Sharapova, Jelena Jankovic, Tommy Haas, Anna Konnikova, Max Murney, and the list goes on, sir. But also it includes thousands of boys and girls that IMG Voluntary have helped get into college, sir.
1: Now, listen, we brought you here for two reasons. Okay. First of all, there is a major controversy brewing in youth tennis. That has a lot of parents and coaches agitated. We're going to get to that in a moment about how we train our youngest players. Also, uh, we want a little coaching from you on how to watch the U.S. Open and all professional tennis so we can really catch the most fascinating parts of the game because this game moves faster than ever, doesn't it?
0: It it does, and there's a few reasons that it moves fast. First of all, the physical fitness programs that are done besides hitting a ball – have increased twofold. The uh, evolution of rackets, uh, also the the strings that they now use. Uh, it, it's unbelievable the spin and power that come on the ball. So, the physical fitness part of tennis I- is the major difference today because the game is based on speed, power, movement, solid foundation, and you know the average size now of the men players is probably up around six two six three. Uh, The ladies are probably up around 5'9",
1: 5'10", 5'11". But it's more than size because I remember I'm 53. No, I'm 52, actually. And I remember taking tennis lessons as a a kid, and there were a few basics. Step into the ball, swing your racket from low to high. Your back swing goes to the back fence. Your follow-through goes to the front fence. Everything is different now, right?
0: It it certainly is, and that changed back in... uh, 1979, when a young boy, Jimmy Arias, at 13 years old, came down to the Colony Beach Hotel, and that's where I started my first academy. And uh, he went out and played with Chip Hooper, six foot six. He hit the ball. The racket jumped around the back of his head. He came off the ground about three or four feet. And I called all my coaches. I said, that's the new voluntary forehand. So what's happened today, uh, the turn step hit the ball that's the way we used to teach it so that's called a neutral stance today you have to have a semi-open stance and also an open stance because the balls come at you very very quickly and you also have to be able to hit the ball when you're on a run so the swing patterns are adjusted to the velocity of the ball that comes at you but most of the follow-throughs today if you look at Federer's forehand Yes, it does drive through the target out to the location where he's hitting it, but then the follow-through goes out and up above his left shoulder. Now, if you have a Nadell's grip, which is called an extreme western grip, his follow-through goes out, and then the palm of his hand faces downward, so his follow-through is down more at his
1: waist, sir. So, so it sounds like there are no strict rules to play this game that everybody adjusts based on his own instincts. Is that right? Very
0: well, I might hire you as a coach. Uh, You you just said the magic words. Uh, What happens is the majority of coaches try to put everybody into the same mold. That's a serious mistake. You have to look at the youngster, the boy or girl, or whoever you're working with. You have to know their idiosyncrasies, their mental state of mind, their athletic background, the family's athletic background, their commitment to the game, You have to know a lot of information before you can make a prediction
1: of whether or not they should have a chance to be a professional or go on to college, sir. Okay, so before I get into this big controversy, which we're seeing at a lot of clubs and a lot of courts all over the country, you know, you've you've been—how old are you? I was just 81,
0: but that's a serious mistake on my birth certificate by about 30 years, sir.
1: All right, let's get to the controversy in tennis. There's a big controversy now in youth tennis— about a mandate, a new mandate from the US Tennis Association that all kids competing in the ten and under group use a new system called Quick Start. And I've seen it. The balls are softer, they bounce lower, the courts are smaller. The idea is to make tennis less frustrating for these kids between the ages of 6 and 10, enable them to get into real rallies and develop their skills and strategies and then take them to the higher, faster-bouncing balls that we're all used to. So I called the head of player development at the USTA, Patrick McEnroe. I said, you know, clearly there's going to be a lot of resistance from traditional coaches. Can you give me a coach who was skeptical at first about this system and now supports it? He said, yes, Nick Boletari was skeptical at first. Is that fair to characterize you as skeptical at first? In fact,
0: I threw him out. Uh, When the USTA came over to the IMG Academy, I said, take a look at those— Ladies and men, listed on that uh, wall on my uh, stadium court. I don't need that junk. But I began to think about it. what we must remember is that the youth of today must have confidence, not only in striking the ball, but if they have a little success in whatever they do, they'll come back. So what does 10 under tennis do? It gives you a darn good chance to make contact with the ball have fun and go home and tell your parents i had a great day in turn that helps them in their homework that helps them emotionally certainly there are people who say and justifiably so it won't work for everybody but overall having young boys and girls being able to have some success means they'll come back and do it and it'll help them in everything that they do so the the skeptics should look at this in more than just how good can you become, what does it do for that young
1: boy and girl as a person in reference to confidence? So there are two issues here. There's the building confidence. And I have to tell you that my son, when he was younger, he used the regular balls and then this new system came into play. He was not happy about it because to him, it seemed like, oh, that's what the little kids do. I think it helped his game because the rallies lasted longer. He had to use more footwork. And because the rallies lasted longer, strategy came into play. And I guess my question for you is beyond the overall benefits of bringing people and keeping people in the game, can you develop champions between the ages of 6 and 10 if they're using this system? Uh,
0: I don't think anybody can specifically say can you develop champions. What you have is that these young boys and girls, because of the lighter rackets and the lower bounce, the grips, the techniques, will, of course, give them more of a chance to be a better player in turn. Overall, the benefit of 10 and under tennis is the techniques will give them a chance to play the overall game. Now, when you look at the critics, certainly they have valid uh, concerns. Uh, would Andre Agassi, Mike Agassi, have let his son do this? Probably not. However, the majority of people that start out in the tenon under tennis will benefit much more than not. You, you cannot please everybody. You
1: cannot bring success to everybody. Now, now some people do believe that, hey, give them the higher bouncing balls, it'll develop more determination because, you know what? I, I, look, we've all seen it. A high bouncing ball bounces over the head of a 7-, 8-year-old, rallies over. But, man, if they work hard enough, they're actually going to start to get it and really build their confidence, and that's actually gonna develop a better player, and it's gonna teach kids how to deal with frustration. That that still doesn't outweigh it in your mind. Well, remember, the higher the ball
0: bounces, a youngster then will start throwing their body at the ball physically. When they have a heavier racket in their hand, and the ball is a foot or so above their racket, uh, or above their shoulders, that's why they will go to the extreme grips of a Western grip because that's one of the few ways that you can
1: get a ball when it's way above your shoulder. So let me ask you, are you using these these colored balls, these softer, uh, slow, lower bouncing balls at, at your academy right now?
0: We have, uh, we have uh,
1: four courts that are dedicated just for this because
0: during the summer and during Christmas and Easter, the IMG Academy has a lot of youngsters that come down there and we are using those balls and we are now starting to use those balls with some of the elderly people in our, our adult program. But remember, when you want to teach touch and you want to teach the drop shot and slice, we use those softballs with the best youngsters coming up in the world. Why? It gives them the feeling how to hit the drop shot. The balls don't bounce too high. They come at a slower pace. And remember, confidence is built by success. And then you begin to put in the regular ball. So I use these balls with some of the best players
1: of the world, sir. That's going to be news to a lot of people. Let me ask you, you mentioned Andre Agassi. Uh, he, He wrote an incredible autobiography. I mean, some of it is heartbreaking. In fact, I'm looking at the first chapter. He says, I'm seven years old talking to myself because I'm scared because I'm the only person who listens to me. Under my breath, I whispered, "Just quit, Andre. Just give up." His father had put so much pressure on him. He was at your academy. He didn't like the experience of being at your academy because he. I think it sounds like he was forced into it. You must see a lot of parents who are pushing kids who don't really want to uh, excel at tennis at the level that's required to really devote yourself at a bulletary type academy. Do you see a lot of parents like that? And, and, and how do you recognize them and how do you deal with those kids?
0: Well, first of all, the name of my new unedited biography, It Ain't Easy. And that is the most difficult job of most coaches is dealing with the parents. Now, I never read Andre Agassiz's book, not one word. I remember Andre as a special person, Curry as Sampras and all the rest of them said, he should have been kicked out hundreds of times, but I saw something in this kid that was special. I was very fortunate in keeping Andre. We are very, very close. He's very much part of my new book and believe he's the back cover. Parents, for most part, are very unrealistic, but that's their child. And normally speaking, everybody thinks their child is special. That's tough to argue. A lot of coaches are hesitant in telling the truth to the level that they sincerely believe that that youngster can get to. Why? Their parent will take them to another coach. This is the job that coaches have. They have to tell the truth. And right now, we have 250 full-time students at the IMG Academy, the tennis part. Maybe two or 3%, and that's stretching it, will become a, a top pro. The majority of the boys and girls Hopefully, we'll learn scholarships to major colleges and on all divisions. So the parents are the most difficult part for pros. Now, the reason why tennis is even more difficult is that parent is right out there, very close, and hearing the the pro give a lesson, and they're right there, right next to them when they're playing the sport or in tournaments football they're up in the stands soccer they're up in the stands baseball they're up in the stands basketball they're up in the stands the parents are right there and that child feels feels when the father and mother put down their their head how can you do that I've mortgaged my home this is what happens and remember the first thing that a parent should do when their child comes home, especially in the difficult times of drugs and violence and bullying in school, is to tell your child the second they come in that door, I love you, man. I love you. Then ask them the score. And if they lost, then you pop them in the nose. But don't judge your child by the score. You judge them that they're your child. You love them. Certainly, you have to tell the truth. Did, did you try everything today? Are you doing extra work on your, on your running? But for most part, uh, parents uh, are probably a, a negative. Not probably, for most part, they are a negative.
1: How do you define resilience and can you tell if a kid is resilient at a pretty early age?
0: Uh, you can tell a lot about a, a child without teaching him anything. Look at his facial expressions, look at his shoulders dropping. And that'll tell you a lot. And that's what I look at many, many times. I look at things when there's adversity, not when everything is going right, but when everything is going wrong. That's a big factor that determines how good you'll be, not only in sports, but in life, how you deal with
1: adversity, sir. Can you take a kid who under adversity at the age of 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, Droops his shoulders has his head down. Can you take and have you taken kids like that? And made them, made them resilient. You
0: know how we do that? Let's go to the video. A lot of times verbiage is not as powerful as vision. Take videos. Let that boy or girl look at themselves. Many times they'll say that's me. That's you. I believe that too many educators talk too much. Let the child see themselves. And in teaching, show them, demonstrate. I was a terrible student, but if you showed me things, that's how I learned, sir.
1: And, and you say one of the toughest jobs of a coach is to recognize which of that small percentage of kids really has it. What do you look for?
0: Well, first of all, you look for a, a lot of the family background of the athleticism. Many years ago when a boy or girl hit a ball, wall, fantastic, fantastic. Right now, we go back and do a research, their uncles, their aunts, how big they are, did they play sports, their financial structure, what's going to be the, the pressure on the child when the mother and father give up their jobs, mortgage their home, work two jobs, the family is split. So you'll have to learn a lot more before you can say you'll have somebody special. To me today, I look at size. I look at athleticism. Um, if Michael Chang played today, I was doing American Express at the U.S. Open, and we took Michael Chang up on the stage, and we said, Michael, what would you do today? He said, Nick, I would still win, but I would have to adjust my game. Playing 6, 8, 10 feet behind the baseline, no way, baby, not today. When you play 8, 10 feet behind the baseline, the ball that you hit gives lots of time to the opponent on the other side. And when you play back that far, you have to hit the ball 8, 10 feet above the net. Also, when you stand back that far and get a defensive ball, by time you get up to the service line, the ball is on the ground and the opponent's back in position.
1: That's what you call the hot spot, the baseline? That's the
0: hot spot, sir. Yes, sir. And, and also today, you cannot get away with a tentative
1: serve because the returners are going to put it right back at you. So that gets into... Here's what I want from you. I want to be able to watch, and I, I get a chance to watch a few games like a lot of people. We don't watch the whole tournament. I want to watch this tournament through your eyes. So already, I'm looking for people in the hot spot, okay? Let me ask you something. The difference between the 250 ranked player and the first ranked player, are you going to see a difference on where they stand in relation to the hotspot? What's, what's the difference between those two players?
0: Well, some of the 250 players will stand close to the hot spot, but it's experience. It's experience, how old they are, are, how many years have they been out there. If, if you look at the big players today, and let's just take a few of the girls. If, if you take Sharapova, look where she stands. Look at Linau, look where she stands. Look at Serena, look at Venus. Uh, look at Radwanska, look at Azarenka they are right up there. They're coming at you. Let's go to the men. Djokovic, no need to build the back court. The court builder would not have to build that 21 feet behind the baseline. He's right up there in the hot spot. Uh, you take Federer, two feet, maximum three feet behind the baseline. Look at the difference of Murray today since Lendl's been with him. Murray used to stand eight ten feet behind the baseline. He did not have a major weapon on his serve. Or his forehand. Look at him today. He's moved
1: closer to the baseline, much closer. You've given me, so, you know, you've given us all, so much to look for in this upcoming well, tournament. Uh, I have one final question. It's a per- sure, personal question because your eighth wife yep. says she, in some ways, feels like your mistress, and that's not a question of fidelity. Why does she say that?
0: Well, my life has been tennis, and uh, our two sons is is really. Uh, taken my place in a lot of ways. But that's been my life, and uh, my book called It Ain't Easy will tell uh, why Nick Boletari, born up in North Pelham, New York, is what he is. I love the game. I love the action. And at times I put the game ahead of my wife and my family. But that's the penalty that I paid, and uh, that's Nick, and uh, probably will always be Nick.
1: Nick Boletari, thank you for joining us on CNN Profiles.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's a privilege for me to be here, and anytime you need me, I'm there for you. CNN. Radio.